Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with Drs. Ed Chu and Francine Foss. I'm Bruce Barber. Dr. Chu is Deputy Director and Chief of Medical Oncology at Yale Cancer Center, and Dr. Foss is a professor of medical oncology and dermatology specializing in the treatment of lymphomas. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can contact the doctors directly. The address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and the phone number is 1-888-234-4YCC. This evening, I'll be sitting in for Ed and Francine, and I'm pleased to welcome Dr. David LaFell to the program. Dr. LaFell is the David Page Smith Professor of Dermatology and Surgery and Deputy Dean for Clinical Affairs at Yale School of Medicine. What would you say is the thing that you found in all your years of doing this that is kind of the best way to deliver the message as to how serious this is? Well, I think that uh, we've learned that scaring people doesn't work. Uh, when you're trying to communicate a public health message, if it's framed in the negative, we all shut down. Uh, so it's important to try to discuss skin cancer and the causes of skin cancer, which are largely preventable, in a way that uh, listeners can latch onto and do something about. So while I think we've been successful in communicating that most skin cancers are caused by ultraviolet radiation from the sun. And as a result, I think most people know that sun protection is important. I think the elements of a sun protection program are probably not as obvious or easily understood. In addition, any preventative medicine step that you're going to take involves effort. And if you're going to take that effort, there has to be a sense that the payoff is there. So for patients that have had a lot of skin cancers or for patients that have had skin cancers at a young age, they get it. Uh, they don't want to see me. They don't want to see my nurses. They want to stay away from dermatologists. And the best way to do that is to actively engage in a sun protection program. Another area that I think has been difficult to communicate is the types of skin cancers, because not all skin cancers are the same. There are really two basic categories. Uh, the first is melanoma, uh, and melanoma is a cancer of the pigment-producing cells in the bottom layer of the top layer, or epidermis, of the skin. Melanoma is relatively well known to people because, uh, unfortunately, in some cases, it can be quite serious, and the cancer, if not effectively treated, can metastasize, spread, and lead to death. However, it should be re re remembered that the majority of melanomas, when diagnosed early, are largely treatable, and uh, those are the cases you don't really hear about. Importantly, early diagnosis is your best defense against uh, melanoma, and we can talk about various points and key elements of diagnosis uh, later on. The other category of skin cancers, which by far is the most common type of skin cancer, is non-melanoma skin cancer. Now, included in this category are two types of skin cancers that listeners may be familiar with, basal cell cancer and squamous cell cancer. Basal cell cancer occurs in about a three to one ratio compared to squamous cell cancer. Both of them are caused by ultraviolet radiation from the sun that causes mutations in the cells of the skin that lead to uncontrolled growth. Basal cell cancer 
occurs on the sun-exposed areas primarily, the face, the backs of the hands, the V of the chest in women. Uh, and the good news is that basal cell cancer does not spread in the bloodstream uh, by and large and is easily treated in a variety of methods. Squamous cell cancer uh, is uh, similarly a skin cancer that occurs on sun-exposed areas and is easily treated with a variety of methods. However, a small percentage of squamous cell cancer can metastasize, in other words, spread to other parts of the body and, uh, and cause death in that fashion, but it's a very small percentage. It's interesting because when patients come in uh, for a consultation and say they have a basal cell cancer, that's a good one, right, Doc? That's a good one to have. Well, of course, none of them is great to have, but if you have to have a skin cancer, basal cell cancer, and even squamous cell cancer, which for the most part is easily treated, are uh, conditions that we can uh, effectively manage, uh, especially uh, when you get a diagnosis of skin cancer, it becomes a, a jumping off point for your physician, your nurse, others to start to educate about sun protection. Now, um, so full disclosure, I'm a patient of yours. <laughs> and I think in part it was from producing this show and having heard you speak about the dangers of skin cancer and the preventative measures that are possible. So before we go into kind of the how you diagnose and treat skin cancer, let's back up just a second and go to the kind of the two things that I've really heard you talk about. And at some point, one of those things was powerful enough for me to go in and start getting my annual checkup every year, the, the full body. So I've heard you talk a lot about just the protection wearing, you know, the right kind of clothes and really covering up. That's probably very hard for you to get your patients to do as much as you'd like to see. But that's obviously very important. And then the second part is the, you know, are those annual screenings. So speak for a little bit about each one of those and their importance. I think that, uh, uh Science is a great thing. In fact, uh, when it comes to disease, we know much, much more now than we ever did before, but we still don't know as much as we need to know. That's speaking generally. When it comes to skin cancer, we not only understand what the environmental agent is that causes skin cancer, namely ultraviolet radiation from the sun, but we also actually understand some of the genetic steps that take place leading to the uh, multiplica multiplication of these abnormal cells. Why is this important? Why am I actually, in fact, answering your question, though it may <laughs> seem like I'm not? Well, when we understand what causes a disease and when there are steps we can take to interfere with uh, the, the cause of the disease, we're in a much stronger position to practice healthy habits. So we are all eager to uh, eat well and not be overweight and ensure that we exercise and do a whole range of things that uh, science has shown can be, at a population level, beneficial. So when it comes to skin cancer, you want a program of sun protection. You don't want to go crawl under a rock or hide in the basement. You want to enjoy life. You want to uh, be active, and that usually is best uh, executed outdoors. So what's the strategy to uh, prevent skin cancer while at the same time enjoy life? 
I think it is possible to, f- to, to pursue the following steps. Number one, you want to avoid the sun during peak hours between 10 and 4. Uh, that doesn't mean live in the basement between 10 and 4. It means avoid the sun uh, during those peak hours, stay in the shade, and certainly don't actively schedule uh, your kids' ball games at high noon. Only shootouts should take place at high noon. Uh, In addition, you want to wear sun protective clothing. You want to wear a brimmed hat, not a baseball cap, as attractive as they may be. Uh, You want to wear a brimmed hat. And this is a problem. Uh, Golfers, obviously, tennis players, people that are in active sports, uh, people that are concerned uh, about how they look, at least for men, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, but patients that have had skin cancer and, again, would rather wear a hat than see me, uh, I think, uh, are able to put into action that aspect of sun protection. Remember, the majority of skin cancers are on the head and neck, are on the face. So a brimmed hat that protects the ears as well is very important. There is now sun protective clothing you can wear uh, that looks... uh, like normal clothing. It doesn't look like a prison uniform (laughs) uh, as they used to. And they have a tight weave, they're chemically treated, and they actually are uh, UPF rated, meaning ultraviolet protective factor rated, so that you can get a sense of how much protection you're getting. And uh, of course, you want to use sunscreen. Uh, Sunscreen has evolved uh, dramatically uh, over the years. I'm a consultant to Coppertone and uh, work with their scientists on the development of uh, sunscreen products and ways to make them uh, more attractive to individuals because we know that using sunscreen is a nuisance. Uh, There are now continuous spray products that go on more easily and leave your hands unsticky. But the bottom line is that there's a huge amount of benefit provided by sunscreen uh, because uh, regardless of the actual chemical uh, reaction that takes place, it does prevent the damaging ultraviolet rays from uh, injuring the skin. One of the best innovations in our time, I believe, is the spray-on sunscreen. And I say this is the father of four. (laughs) It it is great. When you have little children, you just line them up and spray them as they run out the door. But all kidding aside, I think that uh, uh, there will be, coming down the pike, newer technologies. Uh, People wonder if there will ever be a pill that you can take that will provide the type of protection. And uh, it's uh, certainly theoretically possible. Uh, we can talk later perhaps about various uh, innovations in terms of uh, uh, sun protection. But um, the reality is that avoiding the sun during peak hours, sun protective clothing, including a brimmed hat, regular use of sunscreen, reapplying every couple of hours while you're active outdoors. Uh, are all key components of an important sun protection program. Now let's talk about the second part of my question, which was, um, and and this was certainly true in my case. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, they didn't, we didn't know as much, and so I had had, you know, blistering sunburns as a child, and um, and reached a point where I said you know, I should maybe be concerned about that, and that's when I decided to go in for the full-body exam. Uh, talk a little about the benefits of doing that regularly. Well, as I mentioned, melanoma, when diagnosed early, is most treatable. Similarly, basal cell cancer and squamous cell cancer, when diagnosed promptly, are easily treated by a variety of means. So the byword here is early, 
And the way you can maximize the chance of having an early diagnosis of skin cancer is to first know your own skin, and secondly, have regular full-body skin exams by uh, a dermatologist or someone uh, else trained in uh, skin lesions. Uh, the important point is that the skin exam should be thorough. It should involve looking through the scalp for those fortunate enough to have hair, and uh, otherwise a, a straightforward exam uh, suffices. It should involve looking in every nook and cranny all the way down to the soles and between the toes. And why is this important? Well, while it is true that the majority of non-melanoma skin cancer occurs on sun-exposed areas, melanoma can occur anywhere. It can occur in the groin, it can occur on the palm, it can occur behind the ear. Uh, very often uh, when I describe the strategy for an uh, annual skin exam, usually to uh, the spouse of a patient who's in the room, uh, the spouse will say, well, I, you know, I know I don't have anything. I don't really need to go to a dermatologist. And I think that while it's great to be that confident, uh, in reality, it's probably a more helpful strategy to have an annual full-body skin exam. But more importantly than that, since so many of the lesions that are diagnosed are actually identified first by the patient, I think you have to follow the rule of know your own skin. And so on a regular basis, whether it's uh, every month or every couple of months or quarterly, look over your skin and have your spouse or partner look over the areas that you can't see. Um, because you're going to, number one, identify things when they first change, and the only way to know that you're identifying them as a change is to know what the baseline was. Uh, so uh, I also think that, you know, we talk about the warning signs of melanoma, the A, B, C, Ds, uh, but in reality, uh, my consideration is that the most important factor is the patient's own sense. People have a sixth sense about their own skin, and invariably patients will come in and say, you know, I just don't like this thing. There's something weird about it. And uh, we teach our residents, our dermatologists in training, that when a patient is concerned about a lesion, even if it looks to us like nothing especially concerning, it needs to be biopsied. You need to have respect for the patient's own sense of their own body. Remember, a dermatologist only sees the patient for a few minutes or whatever it is at intervals, whereas you, the patient, live with your skin every day. Now, at some point, uh, you may get overly cautious, but then that's the job of the dermatologist to educate about, well, this thing you should uh, be concerned about, but this is normal, and look over here, here's a picture of what this is, and it's normal. And I should mention, by the way, um, just for convenience, uh, I uh, have a book that I wrote in 2000 called Total Skin, which was really intended to be a uh, home reference guide for skin that would be hopefully uh, reliable and reputable and comprehensive. And I recently was able to uh, post it uh, on the web, and it's there free of charge uh, for anyone that wants to go to totalskinmd.com. You can also reach it uh, through the Yale site. But the point I'm making is there are full-color plates there that can give you an idea of what certain things look like. And uh, while uh, they are not intended to be 
uh, comprehensive because everyone has different skin and things can look different. The same thing can look different in different people. It at least you at least gives you some sense of what to look for. So that is terrific, and that's exactly I think what brought me to you the first time was I had heard you talking about that exact same thing, and I thought, well, I feel something, and then I went in, and it was nothing. So I think that's an important right. thing too. Uh, let's talk some more about your book when we come back. I'd love I'd love to talk about that and a little bit about um, if a diagnosis of cancer is made, uh, what steps are available to a patient at that point. We're speaking with Dr. David LaFell, the author of the aforementioned Total Skin. And uh, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year and nearly 200,000 nationwide. But there is new hope for these women. In 2010, more women are learning to live with this disease than ever before. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with the disease. With screening, early detection, and a healthy lifestyle, breast cancer can be defeated. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the Yale Cancer Center, to make innovative new treatments available to patients. A potential breakthrough in treating chemotherapy-resistant breast cancer is now being studied at Yale, combining BSI-101, a PARP inhibitor, with the chemotherapy drug Irinotecan. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by the Yale Cancer Center. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to the WNPR Health Forum on the Connecticut Public Broadcasting Network. And welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. I'm Bruce Barber, very pleased to be joined today by Dr. David LaFell. He's the David Page Smith Professor of Dermatology and Surgery and Deputy Dean for Clinical Affairs at Yale School of Medicine, and we're talking about skin cancer. Uh, and before the break, we talked about the fact you actually released your book online for free, Total Skin. That's right. Uh, the book came out in 2000, and uh, I decided that... Uh, if I felt it was important enough to write in the first place, it was important enough to make it more broadly available. And it's now posted uh, on uh, the web, and uh, there's uh, completely free access. Uh, I don't know if it can be downloaded into a Kindle. I haven't looked <laughs> that far, but it's at totalskinmd.com, and it's also accessible through the dermatology website at yale.edu. And that'll help you get a, a handle on kind of maybe what you're seeing on your body. and It will. The book covers th many things other than, than skin cancer, but it's written in a way uh, that's intended to be uh, engaging, and a lot of uh, extraneous information is provided to kind of lubricate the drier <laughs> material that might otherwise turn people off. Now, let me ask you this. You're obviously doing some um, pretty amazing stuff at Yale there's always uh, interesting things going on. Uh, before we get into kind of a more broad discussion of, you know, how you diagnose and treat uh, skin cancer, is there any one thing right now that's just got you really excited about what's going on in the field? Well, I think so. Uh, in 1996, Alan Bale, along with uh, a group of us, uh, discovered the skin cancer gene. And uh, since that time, a lot of uh, groups around the world have continued to tease apart the mechanics of the genetics of skin cancer. 
and uh, we are gearing up to do a uh, research study into a molecule that we think may play a role in inhibiting skin cancer. It's a phase one study which involves a small number of people and is intended to uh, look at the safety of the particular compound. But this is just an example of how far we've come. When I was in medical school in the uh, very early 1980s, skin cancer was really not as common as it is now. When I was in residency 25 years ago, uh, the treatments available were uh, relatively straightforward and simple. Over the past 25 years, a surgical approach called the Mohs technique has really become the gold standard for many skin cancers. That's an office procedure where the skin cancer is removed by the dermatologist layer by layer, and then reconstruction or plastic surgery is done if necessary, but it's still surgery. The holy grail here, since we understand uh, the core genetic mechanisms, is to develop a treatment that you can use topically or orally that interferes with what the mistake the body has made or the mistake that ultraviolet radiation has induced so that the skin can start behaving better. Now, having said that, over the past 10 to 15 years, there has been an, inno an innovative treatment that has been generally available for treating skin cancer. It's actually a topical medication that was originally approved for treating warts genital warts, in fact, and it is a, a chemical or a compound that stimulates the immune system of the skin to release compounds that are anti-cancer in nature. The compound, uh, the, the medication is called imiquimod, and its brand name is Aldara. Uh, fortunately, a generic has just been released, and it's applied to the skin on a regular basis, depending on the regimen recommended by your doctor. It stimulates an immune reaction. The skin does get red, inflamed, and irritated, but that's a good sign. That means that the, the compound, the medication, is working. And in so doing, it actually will destroy cancer cells. Now, it's not intended for every type of skin cancer, but in properly selected cases, we've been quite successful at avoiding surgery, which, as I said earlier, is, of course, our ultimate goal. So let's walk through now the procedure by which someone would discover they have skin cancer and then how you would decide to treat that patient. I would imagine most people end up in your office um, having been referred by a primary care physician. Well, actually, in fact, uh, we uh, at the Dermatologic Surgery Program uh, see patients only by physician referral. And the majority of physicians that refer to us are dermatologists who have made a diagnosis of skin cancer in their patient. Uh, the majority of these skin cancers are treated by the dermatologist using a variety of straightforward uh, surgical means that are performed in the office with just local anesthetic. However, for certain specific cases, the Mohs technique, named after Frederick Mohs, who developed it at the University of Wisconsin, uh, is considered to be advantageous uh, for the patient. 
There are other approaches to skin cancer. Again, depending on the type of skin cancer, its location, the health of the patient, a whole range of factors go into the decision-making process. Radiation therapy is uh, used in some cases for treating skin cancer. Uh, so the important thing is to be guided by your dermatologist, by your primary care physician, uh, uh, increasingly who are also diagnosing skin cancer, and not to assume uh, when it comes to treatment that one size fits all. The patients that we see, of course, have been uh, referred uh, for consultation because of the complexity or the challenge of the case or for the, the Mohs procedure. Now, the thing I hear a lot about um, in listening to this show when Ed and Francine are here is the multidisciplinary approach that's um, being used at Yale. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, for example, when we're treating a complex skin cancer of the scalp, uh, we will remove it with uh, the Mohs technique, and then uh, our plastic surgery colleagues may be involved in uh, reconstructing the area, and then our radiation therapy colleagues may be involved in providing post-operative radiation therapy if the cancer is considered aggressive or extensive. In uh, addition, the, the teamwork concept really starts at the level of the doctor interacting with the nurses, uh, the residents, the fellows, and all of the people that come together to provide the highest quality, most sophisticated care. And your advice to someone who's just gotten this diagnosis, uh, how does it relate to, you know, basically, you know, you see this every day, um, you're, you're probably pretty comfortable with the range of treatment options, but it's got to be very difficult for somebody to hear the words skin cancer. It, it is, and uh, I think that we as uh, treating physicians don't take anything for granted and don't make any assumptions about what people know or don't know. What we assume is that it's a, a diagnosis that is worrisome and in some cases extremely worrisome to people, so we spend time discussing it. Uh, it's not uncommon to have a patient come in with a lesion on their arm and they'll tell us uh, that uh, they're convinced it's uh, skin cancer and uh, the reason they know is because they went on the web and uh, they've diagnosed it. So I would recommend that you not use the web for diagnosis. Uh, you can certainly use it to learn about things, and uh, uh, as we talked about earlier, but make sure you, you know the source of your information. Having said that, I think you need to, uh, uh, aside from doing your own judicious reading, uh, rely on and have confidence in your dermatologist or your primary care doctor. Uh, importantly, uh, the type of skin cancer, whether it's a basal cell cancer or a squamous cell cancer, uh, is important. If it's a melanoma, it's a bit of a different uh, story because there are other factors that go into the evaluation and treatment. And at Yale, uh, we have an interdisciplinary melanoma program, uh, really a tumor board, where cases are presented and recommendations are made about treatment. Remember that I said the majority of melanomas are diagnosed very early and are easily and readily treatable by simple surgical procedures. But there are criteria that one monitors in melanoma that can have implications for 
uh, a different approach, for example, an evaluation of the lymph nodes, uh, whether uh, it's felt that the melanoma is advanced and it's necessary to consider enrollment in a clinical trial. All of these are factors that uh, come into play. And I think it's important to find a physician who's willing to sit down with you and talk to you uh, about the diagnosis, because there is, as I've conveyed in this conversation, such a wide range of uh, seriousness or potential seriousness from basal cell cancer uh, all the way to uh, melanoma. So in just the minute or so that we have left, um, let's go back over just that. Um, the, the, I think the two key things we started off with are the annual skin exam and just the protection. Um, I guess my, my last question, because I th- thought you were really good on both of those, but my last question is, is really, uh, at what age should somebody start really doing those annual skin exams? You know, is it, is it kind of, if you haven't had one, it's never too late to start, or is there a specific age? age that you think of? Well, that's a great opportunity to talk about the risk factors for skin cancer. The people that have fair skin, that burn easily, for example, that have uh, blonde, red, strawberry hair, that have blue, gray, or green eyes, people that have had a blistering sunburn uh, at some point in the past, people that have a family history of melanoma, all of these are individuals that are are at increased risk for skin cancer in general. And it's not a bad idea for uh, people that fit that profile to have a full skin exam uh, when they become adults. Uh, if there's a strong family history of melanoma, then the pediatrician will be guiding uh, you about uh, the proper evaluation of, of children. But in general, full body skin examination should start when you're uh, you know, an adult. Uh, and um, I think uh, should be based on uh, your family history and uh, the extent to which those exams are helping educate you about what to look for. That is great. I think these have been such great points that you've made, and I'm so appreciative of you taking the time. I hope somebody else is triggered in the way I was to go see their dermatologist and uh, do a great job taking care of their skin. Dr. David LaFell is the David Page Smith Professor of Dermatology and Surgery and Deputy Dean for Clinical Affairs at Yale School of Medicine. If you have any questions or would like to share your comments, visit YaleCancerCenter.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and find written transcripts of past programs. I'm Bruce Barber, and you're listening to the WNPR Health Forum on the Connecticut Public Broadcasting Network.